you are now listening to Troubles of Bruin, the Boston Bruins podcast where we talk about teams who show strong effort and have elite goaltenders. My name is Brandon Sherco, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Joseph Oates. Boo! Oaks. Terrible! Boo! <laughs> we have an elite goaltender. <laughs> Believe it or not, Tukarask is elite. That was uh, that was the uh, that was an auditory clickbait right there. That was uh, <laughs> I have no respect for you or what you do. Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome Wait, to so the I podcast. should work for NBC Sports then? Just keep just keeping Brandon in check. That's all. Can't let him get too big. I mean, I'm already like my ego is huge right now after winning yesterday, right? I know. I will say though that um, that uh, it's, it's good to get good to get the first one out of the way in game one. Uh, yeah. With with the way that the season wound down, you know, I was I, I probably had three Bruins related conversations with my father between uh, between game one and game eighty two, and uh, neither of us were feeling particularly great about the way the Bruins ended the season I uh had a little bit more faith uh than my than my old man but uh about five minutes into that first period it was very clear that all was going to be okay yeah I mean going down the stretch you have was it like one three and one record or whatever it was and just beyond that we talked about last week there was just no effort but again we also said that could come down to trying to stay healthy and, I mean, you look at the team yesterday, and they just looked like the team we saw before the last five games of the season. So it could be a matter of they slumped at the, uh, the wrong time or the right time if they're already back on the upswing, or they were smart and they didn't try and get hurt. But whatever it was, um, I mean, obviously moving past the end of the season until now, they've, they've had everybody back, on, everybody back on the bandwagon, it seems. And, I mean, you should be. You should be full steam ahead with this team. Yeah, that 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 was a very encouraging performance uh, across the board from everybody. Obviously, you knew that the energy was going to be there. It's game one of the playoffs. Of course, the energy is going to be there. Um, but that crispness to their game that had been lacking over the last couple of weeks seemed to arrive with that intensity. The passes were once again tape to tape. Uh, the attack through the neutral zone was confident. You know, Toronto started doing a good job as the game wore along of stacking to the blue line uh, upon entry, especially on a Boston power play. Um, the Bruins had connected for a couple power play goals already, and uh, the Leafs started doing a nice job denying them entry. But the the Bruins looked, I mean, they were, they were firing on all cylinders. The first 10 minutes of the first period were must-see TV. That was such a treat. I mean, watching Rick Nash do his best Cam Neely impression out there, just stapling guys against the boards. I mean, I would actually like to start talking about uh, the return of Rick Nash. Definitely not uh, not the, the the biggest story coming from Game One by any stretch. But before it gets lost in the shuffle, let's talk about Rick Nash a little bit. He missed how many games did he miss again? Uh, was it thirteen? Maybe it was more than ten. I know that it was nearly a month. I know that. I actually just wrote a story about Nash today, <laughs> so I'm, I'm on board with this. Um, I'm helping. That's, that's what I'm doing here. That's why I'm deferring to you. Tell me what you saw in Rick Nash's first game back. Uh, physical. Guy was going to the dirty areas of the ice. Forechecked the way you expect Rick Nash to forecheck. Backchecked better than you expect Rick Nash to backcheck. Not that he's not a good 200-foot uh, player, but man, he was solid on all ends of the ice. Like, neutral zone, offensive zone, defensive zone. The guy was there. Uh three shots on net and all like it looked like really good scoring chances too it was just a really solid game from Nash the guy didn't have any points to show for it but he probably could have easily had two three points if everything fell the right way yeah his offensive impact I think as the game went along I don't remember seeing a ton of him uh on or around the puck in the third period um, but for to be the fair, first he game, was having his knee smashed out from underneath him by Hasan Kadri. Oh my God! Yeah, and I mean, I I will I I won't go full blown Homer on this. Like Nash definitely tried to sell the call a little bit, um, right. but it was still deliberate. It was still intentional knee on knee contact, you know. And yep. and the fa- and the fact that that came right before Nazim Kadri slammed Tommy Wingle's head into the boards twice on two consecutive shifts. Um, not Nazem Kadri had uh, he had a Brad Marchand moment. Uh, yeah, he just second, couldn't seem to control period. himself. 
Yeah, no, that was like if I did. I mean, that that looks like roid rage. I'm not speculating that he is on steroids, but I, I'm talking about like like Roger Clemens throwing the broken bat at Mike Piazza in the World Series. Kind of like mm-hmm. what like what the hell are you doing? Like you we're watching somebody come unglued in front of us. We saw Milan Lucic do it a few times in his career in Boston early on. Yeah, of course. We've seen a lot of guys do it. We've seen Brad Marchand do it several times this year. You know, yep. it, it it happens to a guy where something something snaps in their brain in a particularly uh, contentious physical game. I wouldn't say it's happened to Brad Marchand. I think Brad Marchand knows what he's doing, and for some reason he just can't stop himself. I think Nazem Kadri actually had a moment where he just like blacked out. It seems like not a moment. It was like a really long stretch of play. Where he did three separate things that should have been suspendable, like each one yeah. of them potentially. Maybe not the, no, the I, and that's, quote unquote boarding. That is, I mean, that is an uh, an important distinction to make. I think I, I was I was talking more in regards of just the kind of like head scratching, like what are you thinking aspect yep. of it. You know, like when you know Brad Marchand's forearm shiver to to Marcus Johansson of all people, Marcus yep. Johansson's head. It's like, what are you thinking? Like, what? Why? Why like, would I, you like, do that? It's because a guy like Brad Marchand also is the kind of guy that thinks, well, this is, like, even better examples. Dale Chari yesterday got called for a holding of the stick penalty, right? And it was a call that was, it didn't need to happen. Like, he didn't need to make that play. But he probably thought, referees probably won't see it. I have an alibi, whatever, you know, where it's a scrum, maybe they won't see it. So Brad Marchand, in that sense, is probably thinking, well, if I do this here, no one will see it. And obviously he got caught for the... But Brad, everybody everybody sees it always. I know. It's, I, it's I don't understand his rationale. It's not. It's not. It's not nineteen seventy eight. You know, we're not. We don't have one crack at this, and if nobody sees it, it's going to disappear forever. You know, <laughs> it even I agree even with if you. even if the refs on the ice miss it. You know, if even if nobody sees it happen, it's not like the NHL isn't going to see it. Um, one so, thing I do have an issue with, though. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I have an issue with people, and I mean, I say people. It's a lot of Toronto fans. It's not every Toronto fan, but there's a lot of Toronto fans who, as soon as you say Kadri did this, this, and this, it was three different incidents that were all very bad. They'll say, "Well, you guys have Brad Marchand on your team. What does well, that have not, to do with that's, anything?" That's that's that's. I mean, that's a that that's an ad hominem argument. That's that has. Wouldn't no... that be like saying, "Well." Uh, it doesn't matter if one of my players hit your Patriots player in the face. You guys had Aaron Hernandez on your team. Yeah. Like, it doesn't Tom, make any Tom, sense. Tom Brady deflates footballs. It's like, that's not yeah. what we're talking about. I'm Brad Marchand's, a, <laughs> Brad Marchand's an asshole. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the first person to admit that, you know. It, well, I'm not ta- we're not talking about Brad Marchand. Brad Marchand didn't throw his body into the side of someone's head while they were on their knees yesterday. Launched it. Like, it was awful. Regardless of whether or not Brad Marchand is capable of that, that's not what we're talking about. But you know what this is? This is this is um, this is high-strung, anxious, reactionary people who are simultaneously not terribly intelligent and really worried that their team's fifty-year streak of not winning a Stanley Cup is about to be increased by a year. People lose. People lose all cognitive functions when when emotions are on the line, and, and I'm not. This is not a an anti-Toronto thing. This is any fan base. This happens to Boston all the time. All this the time. is just we talk about it all the time. This is just people who are really passionate about something whose emotion in a particular moment begins to dwarf their ability to rationalize things. I agree. But then you also have people like the media, like Damian Cox, and like they say, like, well, I don't feel bad for Tommy Wingles because of well, what he did. Six they have an agenda. The they have an agenda. But it's disgusting. Like even if you even if you have an agenda, you're talking about a human being who potentially could have died on the ice last night with how bad that hit was. And I'm not trying to yeah. exaggerate. Like it was a really bad hit. That's brain damage. That's a broken neck. That's da- Damian you know, Cox doesn't. Yeah, Damian Cox doesn't care, and Steve Simmons doesn't care, and anybody who has uh, who has bills to pay, uh, who works in a dying industry, um, none of these guys care if it's if it's if it's their career and making a name for themselves or doing the right thing, they're going to make a name for themselves. That is yeah. also something that we see across North America and probably across the world when it comes to covering professional sports. You know, yeah, I would there's, say so. there's very, very little integrity 
um, especially when it comes to this time of the year and uh, emotions are riding a, an all-time high, you know? Well, it's not about integrity. It's about making sure your, your uh, voice is out there, right? Yeah, Which it's about shame. being read. Yeah, Which it's a it shame. Yeah, anyway, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me because these people have a platform. They're going to be seen anyway, but they have to do this to stay relevant, I guess, or they think they have to. But yeah. the best thing about the Kadri hit, like it's the most incredible thing to me that the one thing Bruins fans kept arguing about going into the uh, the first game was, well, is Ryan Donald going to play? Is he going to sit? And, oh, no, he's not going to play? Well, that's awful. Why is Tommy Wingles in instead of Ryan Donato? So now is going to miss at least one game. Could be two, could be three, could be whatever it's going to be. He's going to miss a game, at least. And we're pretty much guaranteed to see Ryan Donato in the next game, whether it's because of a Wingles injury or if he gets suspended. I don't think he's even got a hearing, so I don't think he's going to be suspended. But... Uh, the fact that they literally took out one of their top goal scorers to then put in an offensive dynamo like Ryan Donato, it was just a double barrel like shot to the foot there. Yeah, I mean that's um the I don't know, it's a testament to just how impressive Boston's depth is right now. I mean, Riley Nash is currently doubtful for game two. Uh for the yep. record, we are recording this on uh Friday in between game one and two. Um Riley Nash is doubtful. Um he is probably going to draw back into the lineup for game three or four. He sounds like he's real close. The Bruins just don't want to rush it. Um, so that so that Wingles spot, I mean, Wingles was already going to be coming out of the lineup with Riley Nash to, to be slotting in. Yep. So, uh, I mean, it's just that the, the Bruins just have tremendous depth up, at fr- up front. I, I would say probably better than anybody. Right now, I don't think there's a team in the NHL that has more enviable depth at the forward position. Nashville's up there. I know Nashville's Winnipeg got a lot of only team I could think that could that even even Winnipeg. I don't think Winnipeg is is sitting nearly as many uh, g- capable forwards right now as you know Ryan Donato, Riley Nash, Brian Gianta all being out of the lineup. Um, that's that's pretty impressive, uh, but. Right. What what I'm what I'm getting at here is, um, it, it's people talking about you know the the Donato thing, getting scratched for game one. I was I was also very surprised to see Ryan Donato be a, a healthy scratch for game one. Um, right. I thought Tommy Wingles played a great game in game one. I really love what Tommy Wingles brings. I understand the angle that Cassidy's taking. Um, but I was also surprised that, that he wasn't in the starting lineup. But, you know, here we are. We, after one game, Ryan Donato is going to be needed to step into the starting lineup. You know, this isn't this isn't NHL 18 with injuries turned off. I mean, this is – everybody's going to play. You know, the Bruins yeah. – Paul Postma is probably going to wind up dressing for a couple games in the playoffs. If the Bruins make a deep run, I mean – We've covered it a bunch of times on this podcast. Teams need more than seven defensemen if they want to win the Stanley Cup. It's why Nick Holden was acquired. It's why the and Bruins went out and got Nick Holden. Exactly. So, um, Which, by so the way, yes, I mean, the people that were complaining about picking up Holden, picking up Gianta, pick, uh, picking up Wingles. Stop if, giving those people so much credence. People will say everything, Brandon. People will say if anything. Carlo, if Carlo and Nash were both healthy, all three of those players are out of the lineup as depth pieces, like they should have been. Yeah. But now, because they, these players are hurt, we have those depth pieces stepping in. Like it's there's a re, there's a method to Don Sweeney's not so much madness. Like yeah, what he's doing I mean, isn't even crazy. It's it's a standard procedure to pick up depth pieces. People, I think people are used to complaining about picking up depth pieces because the last few years the Bruins haven't been a playoff team. Now that they're a playoff team, they're still not used to giving away some assets to get depth. I guess, but. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point. I mean, where the Bruins are at is a really big difference. When when you are a team that is fielding, uh, you know, Matt Bolesky, Jimmy Hayes, you, and Eunice Kempinen in your in your top 12. Um, top 9 to some degree. Yeah, d- don't go out and get depth pieces because you're going nowhere. And when you are a team that has as legitimate a chance to win the Stanley Cup as anybody, spending a conditional fifth-round pick on Tommy Wingles is nothing. You know, swapping out Frank Vetrano and Rob O'Gara to move up in the third round of the draft and grab Nick Holden is great. You know, these are these are complementary moves that are being used to supplement a, a dangerous core. 
um, and we're one game into the playoffs, and the Bruins are already dipping into that depth. So, so before before we move too far away from the Nazem Kadri hit, you as as a hockey fan, not you as a Bruins fan, you as a hockey fan, how many games do you give Nazem Kadri for that hit? So I'm going to preface it by saying because it's playoffs, you have to go less. You can't say five games because it's the playoffs. There's no way they're right. going to get five games. Right. But having said that, I don't think the Drew Doughty hit was suspendable. And he got one game for And he it. got a game. Yep, exactly. And then if I go back to the regular season, which, again, it's apples and oranges to a certain extent, David Backus, with no prior history of suspensions, had gotten suspended three games for a questionable hit. Definitely, probably a suspendable hit if you want to give him even a, a game. But three sure, games but, for but, what but he but did. But a hit that's not even close to what Nazem Kadri did. Exactly. And 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 again, and again, real real quick, just in case anybody thinks I'm just a homer piece of shit. I mean, I personally am of the belief that if you egregiously cross the line and there is no denying that you are intending to hurt somebody, like the Brad Marchand hit on Marcus Johansson. I believe that we won't see those hits removed from the game until we start levying open-ended suspensions. You, the aggressor, can come back when the victim of your predatory hit is healthy to return. I and think I, that I would go one step further and say you're suspended for X amount of games after they're back. Just I, I, how, how I think the punishment should fit the crime. You know, if Marcus Johansson has missed 36 games and counting now, I don't think that, I mean, if the NHL is actually serious about simultaneously removing those kind of hits from the game while also neutering teams and their ability to physically respond to hits like that, then these guys need to start getting suspended for however long the injured player is out hurt. Brad Marchand should be serving the 37th game of his suspension tomorrow night. So now that I have said that, Leafs fans, you can all breathe and calm down. Nazem Kadri's hit 100% qualifies as being a dangerous intent to injure predatory hit. 100%. And if Drew Doughty got a game for his borderline hit, I think that Nazem Kadri should get a three-game suspension. Three-game yeah, sounds I'm, fair to me. Two was my initial thought just because of the playoffs. But it should absolutely be three, five, seven games. If it was regular season, it would be easily be a seven to ten game suspension, or it should have I been. I saw, I saw the Josh Anderson hit. The Josh Anderson hit is a borderline hit. It's not a, it's not a good looking hit by any means. And I think, I, I, I can, I can understand ejecting him from that game. But that's, I mean, that put that hit and the Kadri hit side by side, and you, and and you have the, you have a hockey play gone wrong. And you have a guy is on his knees, and I am literally going to launch my body sideways into his head. And just for uh, reference, Josh Anderson and Tom Wilson are both uh, they're they're in the clear. They're not going to be suspended. And Tom Wilson has a rap sheet that's almost as impressive as Brad Marchand's. And Tom Wilson's hit was again borderline. It was a hockey play gone wrong, which, given Tom Wilson's history. I'm not certain that he deserves the benefit of the doubt, just like I'm not certain that Brad Marchand deserves the benefit of the doubt when he winds up in one of those situations. He never does, honestly. Like, it's easy to say. Like, Sorry. There are certain times when you can see that very clearly he didn't do anything wrong, but when it's something that you say, okay, well, it's kind of questionable, then you probably deserve the benefit of the doubt saying, well, he didn't try and do something because he probably did try and do something. Brad Marchand is one of my favorite Boston Bruins of all time. I love I Brad Marchand. I am a massive Brad Marchand fan. But Brad Marchand is also kind of a scumbag. That's Absolutely. It's, it, it, it's his game. Brad Marchand has elevated his game to the elite echelon. He is an elite player. He is in that category. There's no arguing that. He's in that category. And he cannot remove the scumbaggery from his game because that's how he plays hockey. That's just it. That's how he plays. You take the good with the bad. If he was on any of the other 30 teams in the NHL, I'd hate his guts, but he plays for my team. So I love him. But when he does this stuff, you can't defend him. I wrote an entire article earlier this season about two of them. Actually one about how Brad Marchand needs to follow in Stan Makita's footsteps Stan Makita, who was 
one of the dirtiest players in the NHL until his daughter asked uh, his his wife, you know, why why daddy was always sitting away from Uncle Bobby, being Bobby Hull, being a reference to why Stan Mikita lived in the penalty box. And Stan Mikita wanted to set a better example for his children. So he completely changed the way that he played the game and actually wound up winning the Lady Bing twice. Pretty yep. remarkable stuff, right? That's kind of a, and, a huge swing, right? Yeah, and then and then I wound up writing an article about how while Brad Marchand was serving his suspension for that flying elbow he gave to, to Marcus Johansson, the Bruins named him an ambassador to the You Can Play initiative, an initiative that, for the record, I love and I'm behind 100% and think is one of the best things that hockey has going for it right now. And I'm sure yeah. that Brad Marchand is very passionate about about equal rights and gay rights. And and I think that's wonderful that he wants to be involved. But when you are a, a lightning rod for criticism and one of the dirtiest players in the NHL, I don't think that you should be serving as, an, as a team ambassador in any capacity, regardless totally of your passion. So, because it's not just about what you think. Like what you, how you are off the ice is one thing. How you're perceived on and off the ice is another thing entirely. If people are going to look at you and hate you, then you're not going to do much good for the brand. No, you cheapen the initiative. You 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 take attention away from the great initiative itself, and you turn it into a conversation of Brad Marchand's a scumbag. Why is he representing his team? It you should just you should have the you should have the decency to back away and say I wish I could be more involved with this thing than I currently am, but. I'm in the middle of serving a suspension for a dangerous and completely unprovoked violent act. So I'm going to abstain from including myself. So Same goes for Andrew Shaw, the Canadians, who obviously has a history of now saying yeah. homophobic slurs to players, referees, whatever it might be. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's great. Andrew Shaw wants to turn over a new leaf. Do it on your own time. It'll you still know, have do- more of a... More of an impact if you do it on your own time than if it, this is just a publicity stunt, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, look, 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 I'm reformed. I'm reforming myself. That's like Michael Vick volunteering with PETA. God, you that know, it's like, me. oh, that's that's, oh, he, that's wonderful. Michael Vick got a puppy for his kids. I, that yeah, made me oh, sick. that's wonderful. Oh, Michael Vick, he's reformed. That's so wonderful. It's like, I don't care. I don't care. Do it on your own time. Don't use your, don't use the platform to elevate yourself. Anyway, uh, just, we're getting off topic yeah. here. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, and, and, I mean, I understand at this time of year that a, a, a suspending a player carries additional weight. And, and I understand that if anybody who isn't a Bruins fan who is listening to this now, who hears my call for Nazem Kadri to be suspended for three games and, and, and only credits that as being the 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 hopeful wishes of of a of a Bruins fan go back and watch the Drew Doughty hit just go back and watch that it got a one game suspension personally I don't think that that should be a suspendable hit in the NHL I, don't I think even know that's a finable hit I think I think the I think players are cutting across the middle with impunity now they're like they're daring defenseman to throw that hit now because they know the league is going to crack down. You know what I liken it to? I like have you ever I know you're I know you don't drink Brandon, but I'm assuming you've been to a bar. Yes? Yep. Have yep. you ever been to a bar and seen a really really drunk girl like get in the face of a really 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 big man and yeah. like talk shit and point her finger in his face and push him and maybe even spit in his face. I've seen all of these things happen. Have you seen these things happen? Yeah. Now, you think in in, in that lady's right mind, all right, I'm 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 a I'm a 170-pound man and I wouldn't get in that guy's face and do that because that guy would absolutely kill me. Right. But she's doing it because she's she knows that he can't hit her without serious legal repercussions, not to mention the amount of respect that everyone around him would lose for him because he just decked a woman, right? 
Right. So she, so she's daring him to do this thing, and she's betting on him not doing it. And I think NHL forwards in this day and age are starting to do that with defensemen. They are daring defensemen to throw that cross-ice, almost blindside hit that made Scott Stevens such a terror back in the 90s. Nobody cut across the middle on Scott Stevens. Nobody. No. Because there's they also knew a reason Scott- why people like people talk about Scott Stevens as such a big tough guy. You almost never hear from the casual fan how dirty Scott Stevens was by today's measures. Yeah, Scott Stevens wouldn't have a job today. No, absolutely not. And which is, I mean, saying a lot because he was obviously one of the better. Because defenders. he's he's a, a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman. Right. But but my my point is, I, I I think it's it's so important to get those head hits out of the game. It really, really, really is. Uh, but I do think that the the the, the moments leading up to the head hit deserve just as much scrutiny as the head hit itself. I, I think I don't think that players should necessarily be, you know, given the green light to light somebody up when they cut across the middle. But I also think that when you are a, a, a defenseman in the playoffs and a guy goes to make that cut around you and cut to the middle and you lower your shoulder and you wind up riding up and catching the guy in the head... I think I think the forwards' action deserves m- more scrutiny. I think that deserves to carry a heavier weight than it does. What do you think? I think something else that comes into play here also is the fact that defensemen typically aren't as big as they were once upon a time. You have a lot of guys. You still have guys that are six four, six five, even six three that are they're you know tanks on skates. But a lot of defensemen now, the typical defender is going to be a little smaller, more mobile. You know, like Charlie McAvoy's built pretty well. But just typically looking at defensemen like, I don't know, a Roman Yossi or a P.K. Subban, like they're sure. not the same size as guys like Dano Chara or like a, you know, a Brandon Carlo. And though that's still looking at a contemporary uh, feel of defensemen. Rob Blake, you know, big guy. The guy can rail you because he's big. Niedermeyer, Pronger, these guys are huge, you know. I think that comes into it as well, where forwards now, any player that's going, crossing over the blue line doesn't really have to worry as much about those big hits. And when they happen, it's such a shock because you don't see it as often. I think another thing, like you said, when you put yourself in a situation to get hurt, I think the league takes that into consideration. I mean, sometimes. The league is so inconsistent with the way they, they hand out penalties, the way they hand out suspensions. It's hard to really know what they look for. But I think when you're talking about a player that goes through the middle of the ice and doesn't and has his head down and doesn't expect to get lit up like that, like my example yeah. would be uh, Brandon Cooks in the Super Bowl. The reason why you don't run across the grain, like he caught the ball and curled back yeah. and tried to run back the other way and got laid out with one of the biggest concussions maybe I've ever seen in my life. Now, now, now imagine if uh, imagine if the refs in that game had thrown a flag, given him a 15 yard penalty, and uh, kicked him out of the game. That the guy that hit Cooks, that is. Yeah. You know, imagine that in, in, in this in this optics obsessed society that we live in, you know, saving one's ass by 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 making sure that something, you know, something that wound up being dangerous doesn't go unpunished. You know, I mean, I can totally see that happening. Can't you yeah. go back in time and see see one of the refs throw a flag and, and, and give at least give 15 yards on that hit? It wasn't. It wasn't the defender's fault that Brandon Cooks just ran square into him. It's that guy's job to hit him. Also, what am I supposed to do? Not run at you full speed to try and catch up to you? Yeah. What am I supposed? What am I supposed to do? Tri- tri- you know, trip him instead of hitting him. That's also a penalty. Also, you want me to take you know, out your knees? You can't... Like, what am I going for here? Yeah. Exactly. At what At what point do we let these guys just do their job? So, so my point is, the Drew Doughty hit. You you can say, oh, look at that. He hits him in the head. That should be a suspension, and you're not totally wrong. And you can say, oh, come on. He's just he's trying to hit the guy, and the guy goes to jump around him, and the hit rides up, and he catches him in the head. But the head's not the primary point of contact. It was the he, ri- he rides up with his, with his arm and catches him in the head as a secondary point of contact. That shouldn't be a suspendable hit. And you could say that, and you wouldn't be totally wrong. So if a hit that is so borderline gets a one-game suspension and then you go and look at the Nazem Kadri hit, 
even even at a at a time of year where suspended games carry additional weight i i think that that's got to be that's got to be a three game suspension and and i i said this to twitter yesterday and i kind of briefly alluded to it uh probably about 10 minutes ago the nhl needs to do one of two things the nhl either needs to make an example out of hits like the the brad marchand hit on marcus johansson the Nazem Kadri hit on Tommy Wingles. You need to seize upon the moments in which something truly reckless and dangerous with intent to injure has occurred, and you need to absolutely throw the book at these guys to discourage further incidents like that, or you need to start letting the players police things once again. Because people have always complained about officiating in every sport since the beginning of time. But if you go back to the 80s, hell, if you go back to the 90s, I remember the 90s. I can comment on this firsthand, okay? <laughs> people didn't com- people didn't complain about the lack of suspensions for hits like that back in the 90s because if you threw a hit like that back in the 90s, then somebody like Ty Domi was going to fucking kill you. Yep. It got it got sorted out on the ice. It got taken care of. The fans got their 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 bloodlust was satiated because that hit was thrown, and then a guy like Zdeno Chara, instead of coming over and just giving him a face wash, because the league has gone so far in terms of punishing guys who start fights for sticking up for their fallen comrades. Ten years ago, Zdeno Chara would have murdered Nazem Kadri for that. He would have absolutely just murdered him right then and there on the ice. And nobody would have been calling for a big suspension because Nazem Kadri would have uh, a couple broken bones and he'd be missing a couple teeth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, even so going back NA- to the Bruins' last cup, uh, not last, like the, the, uh, 2011 when they won the cup, 2011. a much more physical game. Players were held accountable. Yeah. And again, I, I'm never calling for a player to have their bones broken on the ice. I mean, you're just saying that's how it was. I understand. I mean, we've seen it. We know how hockey was. It was self-policing. I'm not saying that that's the right way to do it, but what I think I understand what you're saying, which is basically if you're not going to do anything about it, at least don't get mad when the players do something about it. Pick one. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should go back to the days where there were bench-clearing brawls and guys climbing over the glass to fight fans. Like, I'm not – I don't want that. That's that, – that, it got it, – it went off the rails in the 70s. Things went a little too far down that path. The It's like a blanket path. statement for life. Things went off the rails in the yeah. 70s. Yeah, exactly. But all, all I'm saying is that you've got to pick one, NHL, because right now you're doing neither. And that is why everybody is – everybody's brains are leaking out of their ears trying to figure out who gets suspended, how things are adjudicated and decided – why guys can't stick up for their teammates. This mess that has been created on Gary Bettman's watch has been created because he is simultaneously neutering a team's ability to, to, to police and to stick up for their own fallen comrades while simultaneously not coming down nearly hard enough on guys who throw blatant, predatory, dangerous hits like the Kadri hit and like the Marshand hit on Marcus Johansson, just to put that out there again so people don't think I'm just calling for a Toronto player's head, okay? You got you to gotta pick one. What kind of a league are you going to be? Because you can't say that we're all about protecting our players' safety and then deny that, you know, that CTE has any direct correlation to head injuries sustained on the ice and not suspending guys long enough and not letting guys stick up for their teammates. We have a mess right now do one or the other the cadre hit is a perfect opportunity for the nhl to set a a, a standard for these playoffs if not beyond and say this is the threshold this is how many games you get for this kind of hit don't even think about it so back to a a more positive note (laughs) let's go back to the bruins real quick before we end this uh this podcast uh so we can assume Wingles is done for the round, right? He's done for, I mean, maybe the playoffs, depending on injuries, but he's probably done for the round, assuming that Donato's in and then Riley Nash comes back. 
I, I, I don't know. To, to be completely honest with you, I don't mean to play devil's advocate right off the bat, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that Wengles is done for the rounds. I think that hit looked bad. No, no, no. I meant um, just because who's – I mean, who do you take out instead of uh, – Oh, you mean because right, Riley Nash and then right. Ryan Donato. Donato uh, went yeah, for okay. now and then Nash. Just, just for at least, for, if for no other reason than for allowing you to continue with your thought. Sure. Tommy Wengles, let's say he's done for the round. So now the Bruins have Riley Nash who's going to come back, let's say game three, game four, whatever it is, or game one of the next series because there's not going to be a game five. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, let's say Riley Nash is back and he's healthy, and then Ryan Donato then sits again. I don't see how, barring injury, obviously that's what Wingles and Gianta and I guess now Donato are there for, I don't see how this team isn't just top to bottom the best team left in the playoffs in terms of full forward, like lines one through four. And that includes the Winnipeg Jets, who have probably the best top nine in the league when you have a, a line that has Stastny, Ehlers, and Lion A as your third line. So I think the Bruins are in pretty good shape. And to argue with some people, I've seen it in who Toronto. Is, who, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Remind me, who is who is Winnipeg's fourth line? It's uh, Adam Lowry, right? Which is unreal. <laughs> who else is on that line? line? Let me just look it up real quick. I know their top nine is unreal. Uh, you're talking about just... Well, when they got Stasneath, it was game over, pretty much. For there, There's no way they weren't going to go far. So you got Connor, yeah. Shifley, Wheeler. Uh, apparently, Lion A, Stasny, Ehlers is their second line now. So you've got Armia, Perot, and Little as their third line, which is still a really good third line. And then Kopp, Lowry, and Tanith. I still think Boston's is better. I, I don't disagree with you. I just think that Winnipeg is the closest match. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think... Um... I think Nashville lacks the uh, the the high end. I mean, tr- they they've got a, a tr- great top line. What is it, Johansson, Forsberg, Arvidsson? Like that's an awesome line. I'm not I'm not knocking that line, but um, but I don't I don't think I don't think they're I don't think they're quite on on par with with Boston's top line or or, or even Winnipeg's for that matter. Um, but I am really impressed with uh, with Nashville's forward depth. Uh, okay, the, the guy, the guys that they have sitting in the press box uh, for any given game would would make a, a really good bottom six line themselves. But I just you know? meant you, in terms of players that are on the ice, top twelve. If all things are you know even, everything's healthy. You're talking about just the, the Jets and the Bruins. They both have the absolute yeah, best forward, uh, top twelve forward group. Absolutely stacked. But yeah. if you look at the Bruins, um, uh, I mean their third line. Let's say you put. I mean, obviously, Nash is the third-line center. Let's say you're talking about you need to make a second line out of the Bruins' third-liners, and you can obviously use Donato in the situation. If you're looking at Donato, Backus, and Heinen, that's a good second line on a lot of teams. Even Nash. Yeah. So yeah, you're talking ab- about absolutely. a third line that could be a second line on most teams. I think Winnipeg has a good center depth all the way down the middle. I think the wingers kind of uh, peter off as you go down, but it's still good. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, they 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 got they got good players, but I mean, you know, Joel Armia, and it's just that I mean, I don't. That's not that's that's nothing spectacular, right? But how often do we watch Joel Armia and see how he does like the little things well compared to what we see from Tim Schaller and Sean Corrali and Nolachari, who other teams are going to look at them and say, okay, who cares? Oh, who are these guys? Yeah, it's hard to no, it's hard to tell anybody that these guys are good when they don't watch them play. That's a fair point. Well, here's the good news. Uh, one of Nashville nor Winnipeg won't be making it out of the Western Conference, so the Bruins <laughs> right. won't have to deal with at least one of those two teams. Just real quick um, before we end it, I want to ask you, um, Tampa Bay or, or New Jersey, who wins that series? Uh, Tampa Bay, um, but uh, I, I picked it to go six games. I, I feel like Jersey's going to win a couple. Um, I have Jersey in six for what it's worth. You've got Jersey winning in six? That is, a, that is a feeling. bold prediction, my And friend. for what it's worth, I think the Bruins are fine against Tampa. I'm not afraid of playing Tampa. That being said, I'm not afraid I think of Tampa's playing incredible. anybody. Exactly. Uh, maybe maybe That's... just Washington because I know how the Bruins – and Colorado because apparently uh, the Bruins even, can't play e- those two teams. Even even Washington, like even with like losing 12 games straight and all of that, like I – you know – I, I, there isn't a team that I'm that I, I I'm afraid of. There isn't a team that I'm like, oh, the Bruins don't stack up well. No, that's not to say that the Bruins are you know immune from losing the next four games and getting knocked out. Like Toronto's a great team. Tampa's yep. a great team. Nashville, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Washington, Columbus. These are all teams that could. 
Yeah, even New Jersey. Jersey's played the Bruins tough all three times the Bruins have played them this year. The Bruins lost to Buffalo three out of four times this year. You know, I mean, we lost back anything, to back to Colorado. Any, yeah, anything can happen. Anybody can beat anybody. But there isn't a single team in the NHL that I think the Bruins are punching uphill at. No, I agree. But uh, that said, I just uh, that's what I was saying is I don't I'm not picking Jersey because I'm afraid of Tampa. I just think Jersey is going to do it. They're going to pull it off. I don't know why. It's a story if they did. It it really would be a hell of a story if they did, especially considering that Keith Kincaid is in net right now and not even Corey (laughs) Schneider. Um, so so that'll be an interesting series. Um, what do I mean? What's what's your aside from the Bruins? What is the series that you are watching with the most interest right now? It's hard to not see. Game one, I was really interested in watching Philly versus Pittsburgh, just because of that rivalry. But that just disappeared real quick. <laughs> yeah, think, after Pittsburgh won by a touchdown, you mean? Yeah, I think the West has a lot of really good matchups. L.A. versus Las Vegas. I have L.A. in that series, by the way. That's 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 my favorite. That's the series that I'm looking forward it's to. It's just so uh, typical, like playoff hockey. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome, and the fact that the first game was a was a a, a one nothing finish. Vegas scored like immediately, and then nobody scored anything. for the rest of the game. Flurry doing flurry things, and I uh, I just it's a natural rivalry. You know, uh, the yeah. the proximity between the two cities. I I personally I live in Los Angeles, so uh, so it's cool kind of having a, a front row seat to to all of this. So what watching all the Kings fans uh, remember that L A has a hockey team. Um, and, uh, and get into it just in time for the playoffs. Um, uh, I, I think I, I that's, I, I think that's going to be like a knockdown drag out. I think that's going to be a nasty seven game series. I picked Vegas in seven, but, um, but I'm excited to see where that one goes. Give me Winnipeg, Minnesota as my like, most interested one. I think those teams are both, I think Winnipeg's better, but I think the first game was a good sign of what's going to come with that series. I was really surprised at how well Minnesota played Winnipeg, especially down Suter. I mean, even if even if Minnesota had Ryan Suter in the lineup, I would still pick Winnipeg to win that series. And and, and down not only their best defenseman, but one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I think that I think Ryan Suter is is criminally underrated. Um, yeah. He's I mean he guy plays not, like twenty seven. No, not contract wise. Guy's getting paid. He doesn't care if he's underappreciated. He's getting paid. Yeah. Um, but he is, I mean, he guy plays like twenty seven minutes a night, all situations, and he's good at everything. Yep. Uh and, and, and to, to, to lose a guy like that on the eve of the playoffs. So you're not only dealing with his absence, but you're dealing with, you know, the gut punch reaction to losing that guy. Um I I was really impressed with the with the uh, with the the kind of you know band together attitude and 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 gutsiness that that Minnesota came out with in game one, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if if they can keep it up and and make this a tight series because I picked Winnipeg in five games. Yeah, that's a fair uh, a fair number. I think I think I said Winnipeg in six, but no, you know what? I think I said Winnipeg in five. I think we're on the exact same page with that. I don't remember, so I'll, I mean I'll figure it out eventually, but I'm not going to look it up now. But it's Winnipeg should win that series, but Game One was much closer than I expected. So it's it's fun. It's fun when a no, series no, that I, you don't expect to be good is good. Yeah, exactly. And and now I I, I want to get back to Pittsburgh Philly real quick. I, I I would like to touch on at least most of the series, if not all of them, real quick. I I picked Pittsburgh in six. Um, I I am going to try to not overreact to the results of just one game because Pittsburgh is still only up one game to none. If Philly That's wins a, it's tonight, so important to remember. It's tight. It's yeah, exactly. If Philly wins tonight, it's tied up and it's going back to Philly. Yep. So I'm going to try to not overreact. I mean, Philadelphia finished two points behind Pittsburgh in the regular season standing. So they were right there with them. Um, I'm going to try to not overreact too much to one game, but once again, it just comes back to the lack of decent goaltending in it's Philadelphia. Nuts. Ca- My one one of these, seems. 
Yeah, what one day soon. See, I'm old enough to remember Ron Hextall, so I at least remember <laughs> the one time that Philly had a good goalie. Since, oh, you mean be, the Flyers? Since, yeah, since, I know that guy. Yeah, since, <laughs> since since Bernie Perrant, at least. I'm not going to try to forget about Bernie Perrant, but right. you know, since Bernie Perrant, the Flyers have had one good goaltender, and he last played for them about 20 years ago. And uh, Carter Hart is going to change that. Oh, um, man, so he, you hope. He is Hopefully going, they don't curse him. Well, here's the thing. Carter Hart, I, I think he's curse-proof. I, I, I hope so. I, I love I, the guy. I'm, I'm so impressed with, with, with Carter. If, if you're listening to this and you don't know who Carter Hart is. Look at my article on him from earlier in the season. Yeah, read Brandon's article, watch some videos, look at the stats. He, is go- he in conjunction with that young core in Philly, Provorov, Konechny, Patrick, um, they, the, the Flyers are about to be uh, one of, if not the most formidable team in the Eastern Conference, um, but not this year. And after watching game one, I don't think that Philly's got what it takes to push this series beyond five games. I just don't think... I think the combination of Pittsburgh's firepower with Philly's lack of competent goaltending is just that's too much to overcome. Uh, just looking at the article, the first line I put in the article, like the lead, if you don't know the name Carter Hart, you will soon. Yeah, exactly. He um, He's going to turn around that franchise, but uh, but he won't be able to do it in time to keep his uh, keep his team from from once again. Uh, falling at the hands of their their bitter rivals. Um, I have it, Pittsburgh in seven in that series, by the way. So I'm also trying not overreact to the one. Uh, the yeah, one I had, like I said, I had Pittsburgh in six. Um, so who are we not talking about? What series have we not touched on? We're oh uh, Anaheim, Colorado. San Jose, Anaheim, San and Jose Colorado is always going to be good because you're talking about you know division rivals. Uh, I have the Sharks winning that series, and uh, I do too. I got the I Sharks mean, in six. Honestly, I don't. I don't know that Gibson has what it takes to win a playoff series. I like Gibson a lot, but he's just not been reliable when it comes down to. to I don't think the Ducks games like that. I yeah, I don't think the Ducks have what it takes. I, I they they finished the regular season on a really strong note, and they dealt with some really catastrophic injuries early on, which I think kind of kind of shrouded. Um, their 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 talent and their effectiveness and like we we didn't get a real good look at the team because they were missing Getzlaff and Kessler and this guy and that guy everybody was out hurt. Um, but I don't know. They just I, I could very well wind up being wrong. But they just they don't strike me as a particularly imposing team. No, I don't think so either. I think I think their I think their window. I think their window has been closed at least uh, at least most of the way, if not all of the way. I think I think San Jose, even without Joe Thornton, um, they just they seemed like they they seemed like the the right choice. And uh, Colorado did a a real good job against Nashville last night. Um, I don't think Colorado's got what it takes to make the series particularly interesting. I've got Nashville in five in that one, but. Um, but Colorado, I mean, for the first 35, 40 minutes, that was that was uh, more than that. I guess 45 minutes, that was really anybody's game. Yeah. I mean, they were up pretty early in the first period even. And then after Nashville tied it, they came back like a minute later and took the lead again. So they're, they're, they're not they're, – they're obviously not intimidated. They're not phased. Nope. Um, it was really, like you said, it was the third period where things kind of opened up a bit for Nashville. Yeah, they uh, the last fifteen minutes of the game, Nashville kind of asserted itself. But um, which you expect from but, Nashville? Uh, but I'll tell you what, as as somebody who picked uh, the Bruins and the Predators to meet in the Stanley Cup final, uh, I would really like to see somebody early on take Nashville six or seven games. You know, I know, I feel I that would, too. I did the same thing. I, I picked would, Nashville as well. I want to see the Western Conference just beat the hell out of themselves. I want I want broken bones. I want I want I want Roman I want Roman Yossi limping to and from the arena after every game. Um I, I yeah, I want to watch the world burn around the Boston Bruins. So so fingers crossed. Hopefully uh hopefully uh the next time we record I have the same level of uh optimism and long range outlook as I do currently. Because uh, this is a very good Toronto Maple Leafs team, and they could change the course of this series very, very quickly, with or without Nazem Kadri. 
Right. I think so too. Because I mean, you, you've seen Toronto there. I mean, once Austin Matthews figures things out, <laughs> you know, he's a, uh, He's one of the best players on the planet. Once, so. once Austin Matthews figures out how to unzip that Patrice Bergeron suit he's been wearing all series long, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Oh, it's it's it really is. I'm I mean I, I'm not I'm gonna try to not go too hard on the 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 Patrice Bergeron love fest, but it is just unbelievable how thoroughly he can take an elite player just completely out of a game. You'll never see it uh, again, I don't think, at, at this level of play. Like I the remember, way Bergeron does it consistently for no, the last 15 years. No, he's he's the greatest defensive forward of all time. Um, uh, with all with all due respect to Bob Gainey, who was a legend in his own right, um, Patrice Bergeron is that's that's some next level stuff. I, I I remember, I remember seeing and hearing Austin Matthews' name called once. In game one, he had one chance. That was it. I remember him having one scoring opportunity. That's unbelievable. I don't even remember that, to be honest. So that's <laughs> yeah. And I mean, nothing, nothing came of it. Nothing happened. You know, he had one chance in tight where he made a real nice play, and nothing came of it. And then that was it. Never, never to be heard from again for the rest of game one. So I'm sure he will come out with a renewed purpose in game two. I'm sure Mike Babcock will have some trick up his sleeve to try to get Matthews a, a shift here or there uh, away from the Bergeron line. But like um, the great thing it, about that is you still have Krejci and Riley Nash at two and three eventually that are going to be covering him. You hope? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, it it really is. Um, it really is. I think Boston getting that first win um, for for obvious reasons uh, was huge. But I also, I think from, from a fan perspective, I feel like fans of the Bruins can, can let out a collective sigh um, knowing now fully well uh, that the, the kind of what seemed like malaise at the end of the Bruins regular season was just fatigue and nothing to play for and guys being instructed to actively avoid getting hurt and actively avoid putting them in situations where they could get hurt because the Bruins team that showed up for game one of the playoffs was the Bruins team that was blowing everybody's doors off back in December and January and February. Um, they're, they're healthy. They're back. Get your popcorn ready. This is this, this, the, 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 these Bruins are going deep. Good place to end it. You're damn right that's a good place to end it. That was a hell of a send-off I just gave everybody. <laughs> All right, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and the Hockey Writers Podcast page. Let's go, bees! Take care, everybody. Peace. Thank you.